0: Welcome to Cars, yeah, show number 603. And success is a very interesting thing, and a lot of people in their mind's eye see it one way, but the reality is it it really is finding yourself and what your purpose is in life, and that's really true success.
1: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle
0: up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah.
1: I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable, Lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in Ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost jumpstarter to charge my phone tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello automotive enthusiasts, I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Alan Taylor. Alan, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
0: Hold on, I'm latching the last of my five-point harness, Mark. (laughs) Cool, great, I'll try to keep it between the (laughs) guardrails. Alan
1: Taylor is an award-winning radio and TV host, a 30-year broadcast professional with one of the most popular automobile aficionados in the business. As a founder of Benchmark Entertainment in 1995, Alan pioneered the business of creating radio shows as an extension of the magazine they represent. Alan is the host of some of the most popular weekend shows on radio today, including The Drive with Alan Taylor, Popular Science Radio, and Inc. He's been a featured automotive expert on Motors, ABC, CBS, CNN, Fox, NBC, and many, many others, including 15 years on daytime TV. That show called Live with Kelly, and he's interviewed collectors including Tim Allen, Jay Leno, and many, many other stars in the automotive industry. I'm going to learn so much today. I'm so excited to have you here. Alan. I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles?
0: Well, you know, it's funny. After looking at your list, I think you've probably interviewed about as many as I have in (laughs) – and not nearly as many years, but I mean, you do so much in this industry with so many automotive enthusiasts. Uh, hats off to you, Mark Green. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, <laughs> that means a lot coming from you, for sure. Well, I do a weekend show and have for 25 years. It's been a number of things. It started out life as a show called Auto Talk, and it was because I loved listening to uh, the uh, Click and Clack guys from oh, Boston. Oh, yeah. And so, me and my buddy from Southern California, we said, hey, you know, we could be the West Coast guys because those are the East Coast guys. We could be Auto Talk. So our show started out as Auto Talk and we answered questions about um, automotive repair and told people how they could uh, take care of their cars better. And, you know, some of the advice like, you know, the best money you'll spend when you sell your car is get it detailed because, (laughs) you know, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Oh, yeah. And uh, so this went on for a, a couple of years. And then, I started thinking. Well, I really want to learn more about new cars, and so we started reaching out to Motor Trend and Car and Driver and all these great magazines that we love so much, including even Hot Rod. And one day, I said to the guys at, at Motor Trend magazine, "I said, why don't you have your own radio show?" And <laughs> the miracle happened. Matt Stone, who was the executive editor, says to me, "If we had a guy like you, we would have our own radio show." <laughs> nice. And at that time, yeah, I was on a hundred radio stations. And I thought, well, then why shouldn't we just change the name of my show? So we did. We made a big deal and put it together, and Auto Talk Radio became Motor Trend Radio. And uh, I stayed there for five years until the next bigger magazine came along, Car and Driver Magazine, Ah. said, hey, we'd love to work with you. And that's when something special happened. I realized I didn't have to be an employee of a magazine because the magazine industry is is print and I'm a broadcast guy and I'm an enthusiast. Yeah. I said, "Well, I would love to come work with you, but I don't want to work for you. I'd like to do a license agreement." Mm. And they went, "What do you mean?" And I said, <laughs> "Well, I want to license the name of your magazine and create a radio show, just like I've been doing for Motor Trend, but I want to do it for Car and Driver." And they hemmed and hawed and went back and forth with their attorneys for a few weeks and he says, "We could do that." <laughs> yeah. And I said, "Okay, well then, <laughs> let's do that." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one thing led to another, Mark, and by the time uh, a year was done, I had five radio shows for different magazines that that magazine publishing house owned. Wow. And I kind of got the um, light bulb went off in my head, and I thought, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing yeah. extending magazines into multimedia. This was around 90, you know, around 95 ish. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of a, a special time for me because um i spent the next 5 years creating shows and then i started getting into video production and, and cuz you know the internet was continuing to evolve and it just continued to grow like a weed out of control and it was <laughs> it was really hard finding good help you know cuz this new media thing uh was not as um I guess there just wasn't as many people out there, you know, doing videos for really inexpensively because that's what you have to do. You have to do everything better for less money in order to make it in today's world. Yes. But uh, it continued to evolve and here we are today. You know, it's been a lot of years later and I still love what I do and and it's evolving even today, Mark. Well, it's really impressive to me because I've only been doing this podcast thing for a
1: couple of years and I look at people like you and. Who've been in this industry and that you've kept, you keep evolving it. You keep changing. You keep reinventing yourself with this really the success for anybody, whether you look at successful singers or artists or companies that reinvention, uh, every so often is oh, so important. And to me, that's what you've been doing. You just keep reinventing yourself and you just keep coming back as something better and greater. So we're going to learn a lot more about you as we go through my questions here. But first, As we continue on this journey, i like to start by asking you a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. Maybe it's a mantra for your company, but it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So,
0: Alan, take the wheel. Well, you know, I was trying to think which one of my quotes I love the most, and my problem is is that I have so many great quotes that I love that it really boils down to, my favorite poem. Is that fair? And I'm not going to read it to you. It's it's too long to read. But I would suggest that anybody who has never heard of Rudyard Kipling, go look at the po the poem called If. It's just two letters, I F. Ah, uh, yes. I live my life by Rudyard Kipling's poem If, and it boils down to this: um, work hard, be honest. Um, when all when everybody around you is losing their heads and blaming it on you, keep your head. You know, um, there's just all these great things that are sewn into this one poem Mm -hmm. that has been so helpful to me and I've given it to so many people and they're like, oh my gosh, that is it. (laughs) And at the end, it turns out that it's Rudyard Kipling writing a note to his son. And at the end he says, if you do all these things, you'll be a man, my son. Mm. And I realized that, you know, you have to sometimes bet everything on one game of pitch and toss. And this is all part of if, but you know, ultimately, I think I try to live by virtues and values and honesty and decency. I, I don't drink, I don't smoke. Uh, I swear a little bit, but I'm cautious because <laughs> I have four kids. I've been married 30 years, Mark, and I'm I, I have a loving wife. And you know, has it been a perfect 30 years? No, I've never cheated on her. It's Not like that. But everybody in their life has their ups and downs. But I think one thing rings true in everything i do i look for long-term relationships Mm. i don't want to just live for today i want to live for relationships that are a lifetime that a good example is barry mcguire from you know him car crazy television oh yeah he's been a guest on cars yeah sure and you know he and i have been friends since the very first time i interviewed him on the radio back in 1993 Mm-hmm. And he then became a sponsor of mine, and he was a sponsor for 18 years until 3M bought their company and had different plans for things. But the relationship was honor integrity, most importantly, the products that he made were always good. So the slogan I live by my in my life is brands you trust, people you love. Mm-hmm. So I do not allow I do not allow Any companies to sponsor my show, no matter how much money they offer me, that is not a brand that I don't trust. And I also need to really importantly, I need to love the people that I get to work with there. And so if I can't find somebody that I love to work with, but I trust the brand – And I still think it's a good product. I may overlook that. But if it's the other way around, I love the people, but they are selling snake oil. I will (laughs) continue loving them. uh, But I'll say, listen, I can't I can't push your snake oil on my show. Yeah. So, you know, I I think I live by the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's my quote. (laughs) Oh, so important. And I'll tell you that
1: that poem has a special place in my heart. My father gave me that poem when I graduated nice. from college, so I know awesome. it well. It's a very, very heartwarming poem and perfect for a father to uh, pass down to his son. In fact, you've reminded me I need to send that off to uh, the card my dad gave me with that poem to my son. He just graduated from college. So awesome. very nice. I like it. Yeah, Barry's been a guest on my show. His daughter, Nicole, has been a guest on my show. So uh mm-hmm. really wonderful people, fantastic people. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. Okay. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life as you remember it when you realized that you
0: were a car guy? Mm. Well, I would have to think that it started at a very young age. My father's British, and I'll explain why I'm a little bit crazy and car crazy at that. (laughs) My father was born in London, England, and so he had a special thing for British cars. Mm-hmm. My mother now, my mother was born in Birmingham, Alabama. So my father is this proper British man that always wears a tie every day. <laughs> and he's 89 years old to this day. He'll wow. put his tie on. And my mother is this little, I call her a banty chicken. She's a little southern uh, woman that uh, is not afraid to speak her mind. Mm. And you can imagine those two different um <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> accents, right? <laughs> so my dad used to come home with these old British sports cars, and he loved buying and selling old cars. And he did it kind of as more of a hobby, I think, in order to make a little bit of money, even back in the early 60s. And so I remember standing in our garage in 1967 and looking at this old Austin Healy 3000 that my dad had just brought home. Ooh, nice. It was like a 1960 perhaps. So it couldn't, it was only seven years old. But in my brain, those are old cars at this point. But, <laughs> yes. But I looked at that car and I thought, gosh, that's beautiful. I was seven years old because I was born in 1960. Hmm. And I looked at and my dad wasn't around. And so I opened the door and it, the, the top was down. It was a convertible. And I got behind the wheel and I sat there and I was on my knees, I can remember, because that's the only way I could see over the wheel. <laughs> And I remember, you know, turning the wheel back and forth, you know, like I was driving, going, mm-hmm. you know, going through the gears in my mind. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I can't wait to be an adult. I can't wait to drive a car. Mm-hmm. And that just was what I lived by. I just could not wait to get behind the wheel. Like most young guys, I got my driver's license on my birthday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bought a car for a hundred bucks. I bought a 1960. Fiat station wagon. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And back in those days, the auto parts stores had no parts for these foreign things. No, yeah. And uh, I never did get it running, but I sold it to a guy that was a Volvo mechanic down the street. And I sold it to him for that same hundred bucks. And then I took that same hundred bucks and I bought a 54 Chevy Bel Air. Nice. And that was my, so that was my first driving car. Yeah. And uh, my neighbor came home one day and he had just had his Barracuda painted, which uh, tells you the the era that was in kind of the, that would have been 1976. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had a, a late 60s uh, Barracuda. Cool. He, I said, hey, who painted your car? And he says, oh, this guy, he painted my car. And if you... If you uh, sand it down and help him tape it up, then he paints the car for 200 bucks. So I thought, that's for me. <laughs> so I went to this guy and he says, yeah, I'll paint your car. You got to sand it and, and I'll show you what to do and then help me tape it up and we'll paint it in my garage. And so we did that. And along the, the journey, this man, he was a sweet guy. His name was Richard Ramsdale. I haven't seen him since. And someday, I hope he listens to cars, yeah, or my show and calls (laughs) me and goes, hey, Alan. I remember that kid. (laughs) But he showed me how to primer the little spots that need primer. He says, here, here's the gun. Give it a try. And then when he was painting the car, he said, come on in here. And and I was in his garage. He had it all taped off. And he says, here, you you can paint. You paint this. I'll show you. And he held my arm and he showed me how to do it. And he actually gave me this knowing that I could do that. Mm. I went from. I don't know how to do that to I know how to do that. Mm -hmm. That's the aha moment we all look for. And I had been doing, believe it or not, I had been doing airbrush artwork, which in 1976 was, you know, not anything that anybody had really seen a lot of. Mm -hmm. So I was doing airbrush artwork on T-shirts and then I did surfboards and then I had to do a wall in a surf shop because I grew up in Ventura, California, Southern California. And uh, the next thing you know, I'm, uh, you know, somebody asked me to do the side of their car and I did it and I had to learn how to clear coat over the top of my airbrush art. And I thought, well, I could do that because I I painted that, you know, I helped paint my car. So I went to get the paint and I realized I didn't really have the right paint gun because all I have is an airbrush. And with a paint gun, you have to have to paint the side of a car, a different paint gun. Yeah. (laughs) So it continued to evolve like that. And the next thing you know, somebody said, hey, who painted your car? And I said to the guy, well, I did kind of. And he goes, well, can you paint my car? And I went, I think I can. <laughs> I think so, I can. Yeah, sure. so we did. We painted his car, and then from there, um, we started working on cars. And I was—I next thing you know, I'm a car painter.
1: Yeah, you know, it's so fun when adults help a young kid get involved in something. Hand them a, in your case, a spray gun or a right. wrench or whatever it is. And yeah, you can do this. Let me just show you because it really does start the passion, which is what my question for you re- originally was. And you have have a lot in common because. I grew up in Southern California, a little further south San Diego than you did. But I used to airbrush shirts. I used to airbrush surfboards. Really? Yeah, just I like you. It. Yeah, I always was into art. And uh my dad had an MGTC when I was little. And I used to oh, s- yeah. sit in that passenger seat, which in his car was on the driver's side, the left, because <laughs> his was right. a right-hand drive. And in fact, he even gave me a uh, spare steering wheel. And we'd drive around. We'd pull up next to somebody. They'd look down and see this little kid holding this big steering wheel. They'd go, what on earth is going on? And I'd hold <laughs> right? it up and laugh. So uh yeah, well, we have a lot of past in common with uh, how our our car passion started. Alan, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down. I'd love to crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty and ask you to share a huge challenge or better yet, a big failure that you faced along your way. You've been an entrepreneur, so that ride, that journey is up and down roller coaster ride. But the most important part of this is how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you so that you could move forward? So take us
0: to that painful spot in time. Share that with us and tell us how you move forward. Well, I have to give a little groundwork in advance of that. Cool. And I'm happy to do that because to me, those are the learning moments in our life where we, you know, you either become bitter or you become better, Mark. So <laughs> so continue on with my life journey of painting cars. I never went to college except I went to a junior college to learn how to weld and learn how to do some other things that I wasn't learning fast enough. So I thought, you know what? I think I can learn these mechanic things faster with the guy down the street that was working on old Volvos than I could by taking a class for an hour a day. I can work all day long with this guy down the street. Cool. So I continued doing all this and then one day when I was 19 years old, a friend of mine came over and he had gotten a new RX-7 for his birthday in 1979 when they first came out from Mazda. Yeah. Um, and he backed it into a pole and he was 16 years old. And by that time now, I'm 19 years old. And he said, if, if my dad finds out I wrecked my car, he's going to take it away. You got to help me fix it. <laughs> yeah. So I said, okay. And I, I put my grinder on and I got my hammers out and we hammered and dollied that out and I'm fixing it. And who, guess who drives in the driveway was his dad oh. and his dad was madder than heck. And he came in and he says, if you don't fix this, right, I'm going to sue you and your father and everybody that everybody. And, Ooh, and I was wow. like, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so of course I knew I could fix it. Cause by that time I'd been doing body and paint and stuff for a couple of years and yeah. I was really good at it. And so I fixed it when he came back, he says, and I'm going to give you the shorter version. He says, young man, you did a great job nice. after he apologized for uh, a couple of <laughs> times for things that happened. <laughs> But uh, he says, I'm going to make it up to you now. I want you to paint my Lamborghini. Oh. So I I didn't even know what a Lamborghini was at that point, oddly enough, because I didn't really care. I was into old Volkswagens and things like that. Mm-hmm. I knew it was a sports car. Right. So I went to his house, and here's a Lamborghini Mira S. Oh, my gosh. Right? Which oh. happened to be the car of the year in the year 2000, the, or car of the century. So. He says, it's red, and I want it black. So now I'm going to do a color change on a Lamborghini Miura S. Oh, my I'm gosh. I'm 19 years old. The guy was a brain surgeon, and I'm thinking, well, he wasn't a very smart brain surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> but I set out to do what I always try to do, which is to do the absolute best in my ability. And not just in my ability, but what I am capable of doing if I have the right mentorship. Mm. So the first thing I did is I went down to the paint supply house and I and and I talked to the guy um, that was a um, well, exotic car restoration guy and I I asked him how should I do this he says well you want to take that car apart so I did I took it all apart and, and and painted it all apart and at that time I was doing black lacquer and you could still do lacquer oh, so I yeah. painted it, put it back together he was happy and then at nineteen Mark the reason why I tell you this is really important I became an exotic car painter specialist. And I wanted to, by the way, only charge him fifteen hundred dollars to do all this work. And before I could give him the price, he says to me, If you can match the four thousand dollar price I've been given, then I'll go ahead and have you paint it. And the words fifteen were forming on my lips and I go, <laughs> four thousand is fine. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, you know, the equivalent of about twelve thousand dollars in today's standard. There wasn't a scratch on it. It was just a color change. Wow. So I didn't have to do any body work. It's just a lot of disassemble and reassemble. Yeah. Anyway, what happened was I became um, very successful very quick as a young age and, and I had guys working for me. And then in 1979, my dad bought John Wayne's Ranch up in Oregon. Oh, wow. And that's why I still live in Oregon. So I went in the year 2000 to visit my sister who had moved up and I fell in love with Oregon and the, and the ranch that we had. And so I moved from Southern California and left all that, dare I call fame and fortune behind Mm -hmm. because now I'm, you know, living in Oregon and nobody knows me. So I started buying and selling cars. Hmm. And I was doing really good. I got my dealer's license, and I was really doing good and Then I saw a wrecking yard on the news where the owner had been put in jail for drug trafficking and I went up and made a deal with the landlord for the for the uh wrecking yard and I bought this wrecking yard in essence for five thousand dollars <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> and then i I sold about a year later. I sold part of that for a quarter million dollars to a guy, and then he bought me out the rest of the way for another quarter million and so and and in those days, that was a lot of money uh yeah and what I did was I started a car lot, a body shop, and I started a brand new wrecking yard in another town next town down. So I became a bit of a car guy mogul in my local area in Oregon, and and I was taking cars back and forth to California to sell them. And And then, you know, I, I decided I better get married. I was 26. I got married to the girl of my dreams. I'm still married to her today. And a few more years goes by, and we have a recession. Anybody know what a recession is? Uh, yeah. <laughs> So this was the year 1992, uh, that and one. it was right before I met Barry McGuire. Mm. Now, I'll give you a little more backup with my whole story with Barry McGuire. When I paint that Lamborghini, it was black, and I needed the best products you could buy. The paint supply house told me it was Maguire's car care products uh. that were the best. And so when I started doing a radio show, I was a guest on a radio show in 92, and they said, you should have your own show. And they offered me a weekend time slot, and I said, "What would I call it?" The radio network said, "You should just call it Auto Talk because you're you're a good talker and you're going to talk about cars." There you go. And I said to my buddy, "I said we'll be the click and clack of the West Coast." Yeah. And um, so then I, my, one of my first guests, I wanted to hire, I wanted to talk to this guy Barry Maguire, and I found out there was an actual man named McGuire's, <laughs> and tell him my story. You see how life works, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, isn't and, it? And, um, So in that recession, I had to sell everything I owned, Mm. and that was in 1992 and three and four, right in that period of time. Mm -hmm. And I went from being a millionaire to having nothing. Mm. I sold everything I owned because the car business was just on its butt, and there was no recovering, and I sold all – I had houses, I had properties, I had wrecking yards, I had partners and I sold everything, and I, I literally, Mark, I had nothing. Mm. And I realized, I thought, well, my, my attorney said you should file bankruptcy. I said, I don't believe in bankruptcy. These are all my friends and, and even the banks. I mean, I know the people at the bank, and I didn't want to just screw everybody. Right. So I decided so I'll sell everything that I have and, and I'll pay off my debts and I'll start over because you know what? Yeah. If. If you can bet everything on one game of pitch and toss and lose, then everybody, please go and look up Rudyard Kipling's if. Just Google if, and it'll come <laughs> right up, because Mark knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I started over with worn-out tools, and oddly enough, when I was selling one of my buildings, my wife was pregnant with our third child. I had to sell that building, and I was late, and she said, you know, it's time to take me to the doctor. And so I said, have my sister take you to dad's house, and my dad's house and at the on the golf course. I showed up late. She was giving birth by herself. She was on the floor on her hands and knees. Oh, my gosh. And my sister was calling 911 in the other room, and I I went through the door, and I got in there. I said, let's go. She says, too late? Yeah, yeah, I'm already going. (laughs) So I was home for three minutes, Mark, and I delivered my third son. Oh, geez. and, And I was holding him in my arms, and then 911 got there. And guess what? When the guy put his face in the door, cause she didn't want other two little kids to run in, yeah. she was on her hands and knees. And she says, don't let the kids in. And the guy says, don't worry. I won't. And I looked up and I said, Hey, I sold you a car. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. I go, was it a good car? He said, yeah, it was a good car.
1: I can only imagine what your wife said after that. <laughs>
0: she goes, come on, you guys quit it. Cause I'm holding a fresh baby and yeah. she still got the umbilical cord going. in." Her. Yeah. Anyway, he came in and, and finished everything off. And, uh that was uh 20 years ago, July 25th, my son, who's now working for me. Wow, wow, incredible story. Well, you know, obviously,
1: these recessions come and go, and that one, I remember it well, absolutely. Uh The business I was involved in that year, we had to radically pivot and change, or we would have gone under. So what's your takeaway for our listeners if they're going through that? Because there is going to be another one. I mean, this one we went through in 08 seems to have never ended. But uh, what is your takeaway for someone that's out there that – when they come to that time, how could you have done
0: something better or how do you get through it? Well, I don't know how you can do something better because you find yourself, you wake up one day and you find yourself in a weird position, uh, um, situation. But what I learned from it is this too shall pass. Mm. And and I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to go to bed tonight with all this anxiety And the sun is going to come up tomorrow, and some people are having the greatest day of their life, and I may be having the worst day of mine. Mm -hmm. But I have my health. I have my wife and my children. I have my sanity. But I have bill collectors. And um, one good piece of advice that I could give to people, and I work with Inc. Magazine now, which is really kind of great because it's the entrepreneur's magazine. And I worked with Fortune Magazine, and they they don't know that they had a guy working – for them that was owned a wrecking yard at one point. They never <laughs> asked me. Yeah. But the piece of advice is that when, when you have bills and you have problems, um, how do you how do you overcome? Well, the guy says to me, Alan, how do you eat an elephant? Do you know how to eat an elephant, Mark? One bite at a time. Exactly. Love that saying. Yeah. And so I just started chipping away at it, and it took years and years and years, but I kept I kept a great attitude. I wouldn't let the uh the the, the 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 what's the old saying the, don't let the you know the sobs get you down whatever yeah, it is sure i just kept chipping away and i kept my integrity even though people were saying you know things and i just had to ignore and 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 just keep on going this yep. too shall pass yep keep moving your legs that's
1: all you can do wow what a story well You talked a little bit earlier about an aha moment, but I would love to shift gears here a little bit and have you share a career aha moment. Now, you've had a lot of them because, my gosh, you've been the pivot master, it seems like. You know how to rotate a car on the track, that's for sure. (laughs) But is there one particular time you could share with us where those headlights came on and kind of illuminated your way for a new direction? And and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha
0: moment into a success. Well, I guess... You know, one time I was being – there's a couple points here. One time I was being interviewed by our little local newspaper when I was on ABC. And by the way, I think you're looking at the, uh, the thing you read earlier was probably a year or so old because I think this is my 18th year on ABC with Kelly and Michael. And before oh that, gosh. Regis and Kelly. And But I remember when – Things were going good for me, and I thought it can't get any better. You know how people say it can't get any worse? (laughs) Be be careful what you say because you say, well, it can't get any worse. Oh, yes, it can. Yes. And also, you say, gosh, life just can't get any better. Oh, yes, it can. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because, you know, in my life, I've had so many things that have happened from the tough times to the good times. But a person said to me, what do you attribute your success to? And at the end of this long interview that they knew I was about to be, you know, going on ABC to do this week long thing. Mm -hmm. And I said, I I attribute my success, the success that I do have to this point in my life to my failures. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, as we go through our lives, we look at things that happen to us and we think we got gypped, we got screwed, we got a bum deal. And the reality is those things that happen are there to prepare you for something better something greater nice. so if you deal with it in a way that it's just a test mm-hmm. and how did i you know when you kind of do a self-assessment how did i do on that test and how could i have done better then you're kind of preparing yourself for these tests that come And when you see them it's like when you see the rain clouds coming you're like hey i better take an umbrella or a raincoat or something mm-hmm. you see these tests and you don't get angry at you know they don't blindside you because you are more conscious of it so I think that the reality is that if you're just ready that when the tests come and by the way, some tests are also designed for great things to happen and you have to be ready for that too. Yep. And uh, because like the one thing that, you know, happened to me recently was when I was asked to host the show for Inc. magazine, my favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. I thought, Who am I? I, I almost talked myself out of it, Mark. I, mm. I said you know, I'm, I'm a guy that's had tons of failures and I'm just a regular guy. I don't have a big education, Inc. magazine. Why do you want me? And they're like, no, you're an entrepreneur. You're what all entrepreneurs are. And, you know, a lot of people these days in business will say to you, yeah, the problem with this guy is he hasn't had any failures yet, (laughs) you know? And, and so that becomes a problem. So truthfully, you know, I have just had so many blessings in my life that, You know, I look at all these wonderful things that happen, even the bad stuff. Yeah. And I'm just ready to find out, you know, what does God have for me next? I can't wait on this journey. I'm having so much fun.
1: Very nice way to look at life. Absolutely. And I think what you were maybe suffering from was that imposter syndrome that so many of us uh, suffer from. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not like that. I I can't be that. But uh, when you stop and think about it or somebody opens your eyes, you realize, well, yes, I can. So, (laughs) of course. Well, you've had a lot of proud moments, I would assume, in your career. It's been so long and illustrious. Is there one in particular that you'd like to share with me?
0: I think the day that my son, who's 28 now, said uh, when he got married, um, and he had been married a few years, he said, "Dad, you've made it real hard, you and mom, because you guys have been such great parents and such great role models mm-hmm. that you know I have so much to live up to." And and I th- and I remember thinking to myself, "Is he talking to me again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, who's standing behind <laughs> my, me here?" <laughs> My wife wouldn't agree with him, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm just playing. You know, it's. I think my proudest moment is the fact that I have four children, um, ages from 16 to 28. Nice. And they're kind of spread way out. Yeah. Don't ask me why. Yeah. Most people, you know, they, they clump them together, but sure. we spread them out. Mm-hmm. And, and I look at my children, and each one in their own way is a different individual. Some love cars. My younger two really love cars. My older two, my I have one daughter and three sons. Uh, my oldest son is a is a great writer. He's a producer for my company. He's married, has a wonderful wife who also works in my company. Then there's my daughter, who's my second child, who is a photographer, has her own company. I I can't even wow. get her to come work for me because she's too busy, <laughs> which I love. Yes. And then there's my 20 year old Jonathan, who is uh, right now up in Seattle shooting. Doing we're doing something with Microsoft and. He's having so much fun in this business, and, and he's a total car guy. He's got two or three cars right now, one torn apart in the shop. And uh, my son who's 16, Jonathan – or Christian. Christian has probably already owned 25 cars, and he's only had his driver's license <laughs> oh for uh, like seven months. <laughs> i'm gonna have to get him a dealer's license <laughs> yeah i think the birth certificate
1: on all your kids writes down entrepreneur as a, yeah, as their yeah. father because it sure sounds like they've all followed in those footsteps you are a blessed man that's for sure what a wonderful story and and to be a part of your kid's life as they've grown up as well is really really cool well you know let's have a little bit of fun here and talk a little bit more about cars i want you to go back with me and talk about your first really special car it doesn't have to be your first car but the first car you got that had really special meaning to you, and maybe share a memory with that vehicle. Okay. Now, you realize, because I was a car dealer, I've probably owned <laughs> I know between
0: <laughs> five and 10,000 cars.
1: <laughs> I know. You know, as I was saying that, I was going, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a tough one. So that's why I say first. So yes, at least you so. can narrow it down and go way, way back in time.
0: All right, so for a guy that has owned that many cars, and I always was the kind of guy that buys cars that I love, Mm -hmm. and I have owned a Yugo. Just so you know. <laughs> okay. I have owned, I am a, I have owned every doggone motorized thing you can own. And even in my shop right now is everything from a motorized skateboard to a motorized bicycle to motorcycles and quads and nice. you name it, you know, a six wheel ATV vehicles. And I am a gearhead from the beginning. Nice. But, uh, the one car that has the biggest place in my heart besides my Viper ACR that I just got. Ooh. Um, which is, you know, I, I don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Monster car. Viper ACR, yes. Yeah. Is the last car that I had to sell because I wanted to, um, buy my company back from a partner that I had. I just, I love independence and I took on a partner and I realized, you know what? I don't like the decision I made. So I offered to pay, buy him back out mm-hmm. and I had to sell my 2007 ford mustang gt 500 super snake that i got from carol shelby oh my gosh wow and how that happened was he was a guest on my show like i'm on cars yeah right now Mm -hmm. and at the end he says to me young man (laughs) we need to do more with you and i said (laughs) well i would love that carol and this was in 2006 and so what he did is he put me behind the wheel of the Ford Mustang, the GTH, which was the Hertz Mustang, yeah. the first convertible ever for 2006. Mm-hmm. And it was serial number one for that particular. Now, I didn't know that because he sent me and and Gary Patterson, you probably know from yeah. Shelby, who's oh, still yeah. there. Uh-huh. He, he, they sent us on the Bull Run, which was from Montreal, Canada to Key West, Florida. Ooh. And I didn't know we were in car number one, I thought you know, which is in their museum, by the way. I thought we were in a rental car because the license plate said Hertz on it. (laughs) And so I drove it like a Hertz rental car (laughs) in days of thunder, you might say. (laughs) And um, at the end of we were in Florida and somebody offered six hundred fifty thousand dollars for the car. And I said, what car? He says this one gary patterson i said what do you mean this one This is a rental car yeah he said no this is serial number one mm. for the gth the new gth that we're going to come out with next year with hertz nice and i said you mean this car that we've gotten airborne that we've uh, slid sideways and actually took a tire off the rim in the process <laughs> along the, this bull run oh my gosh he said yeah he said i i wanted to tell you you need to be a little more careful i go then why didn't you yeah
1: exactly anyway. can you imagine if you'd been the guy that had totaled that car oh my gosh <laughs>
0: Right. So anyway, the year th- after that, Shelby American sponsored my show, and I went out and bought a GT500 Super Snake, or and and they put a Super Snake package on it. Mm-hmm. And Carol signed the dash for me. Nice. And um, I sold it back to the Ford dealer that I bought it from, and and I I, I got fifteen thousand dollars more than I paid for it. The year Carol died, and that was how I bought my partner out. And I want that car back.
1: Yeah, Mark. I can see why. Wow. Well, your story is way better than my. Carol Shelby Dash Signature. I had a GT350-66 Shelby Mustang clone. I'll add that word. It was a clone, but it was an awfully nice one. I got to meet him when he was still with us, and he signed the dash for me. And uh, when I sold that car, I kept the the glove box that had a signature (laughs) on it because it was
0: so special to get to meet him for that. But, wow, what an amazing – Mine was a triple black with black stripes convertible, and and it had 12,000 miles on it after owning it for uh, six years. And I I just – I want it back. Yeah, I can see. Well, yeah, you know, when I had my car, it was a 66. I drove it every day for two
1: years to work back and forth. And I couldn't get gas without having it be a 30-minute conversation with
0: somebody. Because just people love that. So very nice. Well, I'll tell you what else. I had three sets of tires on that car in 12,000 miles. Well, good for you. How I drove it. (laughs) I love it. People that actually drive their cars, that's the way it should be. Right. Well, I want to talk
1: a little bit about what has you excited right now, what has you fired up. And I know one of the things that you're an advocate advocate of and a spokesperson for the Patriot Outreach, it's an organization focused on providing support for military servicemen, women, veterans, and retirees and so forth. So maybe you want to talk about that, but what what has you really fired up today?
0: Well, you know what? That's a really important one. Obviously, our military and the families of the military – and it's not always just the folks that have served that have PTSD, that's post traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder. And it's a lot of you'll you'll find that the military um, they call it just post traumatic stress. Right. Uh, they don't like the disorder part of it. And I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is called PTSD. The, and then their families also suffer from it. And what PatriotOutreach.org has is something called coping strategies, which is a private way of dealing with PTSD, and it saved thousands upon thousands of lives. It is endorsed by all forms of military, which is really rare. There's no religious stuff in there. It really boils down to it's a personal journey that each person is taking. And if you look at military, and anybody in the military understands strategy, you have to have a strategy about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so to have coping strategies... They get that, and so they can do that on their own. They don't take pills. They don't have to go visit anybody, and that's what uh, Patriot Outreach does best is to help provide coping strategies to those that have served and their families. Wow. So I'm fired up about that and I'm, I'm a spokesperson for them. As is, I, I got, um, um, Christy Edelbrock from the Edelbrock Corporation mm-hmm. to be a spokesperson too. And they do a lot with the motorsport world and the, and the country music world. And, and I'm just, I'm proud to be as, associated with it. And uh, my dad helped get it going and Colonel Monaco and Colonel Schaefer. Um, we raised $50,000. We customized a car with eBay motors and, Handed him a check for $50,100, and I'm still in contact with the people that bought the car. Wow. Who uh, The reason why they bought that car that we customized is the the guy's brother had, had served in the military and, and died of cancer. And everybody at his funeral was supposed to burn out when they left because <laughs> oh. he was such a car guy. <laughs> so uh, and he owned a Mustang, and that was the car we we customized was a Mustang. So, wow. yeah, it's fun. Fun. Car guys are awesome. Well,
1: very cool. Is there a website people can go to to contribute or help with that group? Yeah, yeah. It's patriotoutreach.org. Very, very nice. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Alan. I love this question. If you were a car, what kind of car
0: would Alan be and why? Aha. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> depends on my mood for the day, I guess. But I if guess I so. Break it down. <laughs> uh, being that I drive you know, a lot of exotic, fun cars and fast cars, Even though I love them, I don't drive them every day. Mm. What I drive most every day and when I perhaps want to go down to the store and get a cup of coffee and just not have to think about it too much, Mm -hmm. I drive a pickup truck. (laughs) And a buddy of mine says to me one day, he says, hey, what do you think Jesus would drive if if Jesus was here? (laughs) And I said, I think Jesus, like me, because I'm the same way – I think Jesus would drive a pickup truck. He was a carpenter, for goodness sake, right? Right. Yeah. He would need it. So (laughs) I love a pickup truck because you can, you know, I mean, today's pickup trucks are so luxurious anyway. I have a crew cab Chevy and uh, I mean, but I can take my family in it. I can put a, you know, a trailer on it and tow. I can put stuff in the back. It's just utilitarian and, and it carries a lot of people. And I feel like that's me. Yeah. I want to carry a lot of people in my life. I want to be able to work hard, and I, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to have to be uh, handled with kid gloves like I do some of my <laughs> fancy cars, you know.
1: That's why I like that question so much, and I really love the way you answered it. You did an excellent job there. So fantastic, yes. Alan, to pick up truck. So, Alan, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front-end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, Cars, yeah! If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. at carsyeah.com. All right, Alan, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Okay.
0: What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Mm. Well, I think when I was a young car dealer, when I first got my dealer's license, a car dealer said the best investment you'll ever make in selling your cars because I think at some point we all have to sell our cars because whether we trade them in or not we have to think about after we've used it and we go to sell it what's the best way to get the most dollars out of it and that's to have your car detailed mm-hmm. professional detail yeah. because that is the best investment you know you return on investment it costs you 150 bucks or whatever and then that way the next owner it's clean and ready for that new owner and they don't have to have you know the, you know, the, the old French fries in between the seats and, the, you know, they, they get to see the car the way that they want to see it. So I right. think the best advice I ever got was obviously get your car detailed. And the second best was make sure you change your oil every three or 4,000 miles and no matter what. And, and I, I'm like religious about oil changes. So those yeah. are my two pieces of advice.
1: Great advice. Now, would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Hard work. <laughs> yes, pretty hard simple. <laughs> work. <laughs> I mean, by the sweat off your brow, shall you earn your bread? There you go. I love it. Now, how about a resource? There are some awesome resources out there these days, but is there one in particular you think the Cars Yell listeners would really enjoy?
0: Well, I think, gosh, to keep it simple, I have been a religious reader of Kelly Blue Book. Mm. And as I now work to this day with Carl Brower and a bunch of the people at Kelly Blue Book, and, uh, I have them as regulars on my show. Kelly Blue Book is kbb.com. Mm-hmm. kbb.com for Kelly Blue Book. They've been around forever. They are the Bible of the industry when it comes to cars. I used to have a, a little blue book in my back pocket to the point that it wore out my blue jeans. Like most guys with their skull or their chew. I remember my those. Yeah. The shape of a blue book. So it tells you what your car is worth what you should sell it for, what you should pay for one. And they have now, of course, you know, articles and stories and, and videos and all these things. So to me, the the one at the top that rises to the top is Kelly Blue Book. Great resource.
1: Yeah, they really are. And uh, Michael Harley has been a guest on my show. He's the oh, yeah. director there. Great guy. And uh yep. Yeah, I do remember that little blue book. I always had it because I would always be checking out, when can I finally get the Porsche that I want? <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> What's it When worth? can I afford it? When right. can I
1: afford it, exactly. Now, how about a book? There's some great books out there, but is there one in particular you'd like to share with our listeners?
0: You know, uh, obviously, besides the good book, yep. Um, and it's one that will pretty much, I think, freak people out a little bit, is a book called Think and Grow Rich mm. by Napoleon Hill. Of course, Hill's book, yep. And it's interesting because as I read the book, I realized that it's a, it's a book full of amazing stories that was written back in the early 1900s, and it's still every story – is a story like what we hear on on Cars Yow yeah or my show or you know stories story, the stories of people's lives and what gave them the character that they have to deal with the problems and issues or success because mm-hmm. it's the double edged sword yeah so to me it, you know it's just a great book and it it's a, an easy read it's a fun read, and it boils down to this think and grow rich yes. Right. And and that's what it boils down to. Everybody sees the word rich. I want to get rich. Right. No, no. Think, think, think and grow rich. So I love
1: it. Yeah, I gave both my kids uh, that book when they went off to college. Wonderful book. Have you read Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill?
0: No. I'm going to write that down. Got Thank it. you very
1: much. That was a follow-up book that uh, I believe at the time it came out, it was so controversial, they, they wouldn't even let it be published. Get your hands on that. If you love Think and Grow Rich, you'll love Outwitting the Devil. That's a, a great one. And I'll remind our listeners you can find all these great resources Alan's been so kind to share on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash Alan Taylor. And there's another great place on the site called Guest Recommended Books where Think and grow rich and all the past 602 guests before Alan's books are there for quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, Alan, we are up to the checkered flag in this last question. I think it's going to be tough for you. Maybe not. We'll see. It can be a real doozy. If you could have only one, I'm sorry, I said one, collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price because today I'm going to write the check.
0: (laughs) What would that vehicle be and why? Probably an Aston Martin DB10 or something like that. And and I, I love, I've always loved Aston Martin. I'm sure that, you know, DB 10, 12, 11, 14, 17, 23, (laughs) as the years go on, they're going to continue to get better, right? Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, every time I get into one, I just go, oh, I love this. Mm. But they're like a quarter million bucks. I know. I know. You know? But, uh, yeah, I think I'd probably have an Aston Martin as that one keeper. Very nice. Well, Alan, you've
1: taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit better, and I want to thank you for sharing. Your incredible journey with the Cars listeners. Would you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you head off into the sunset in that Aston Martin?
0: Wow, Mark. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have to live by that golden rule about, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm -hmm. And if just start with that. And and remember that, you know, you have to love your brother as you love yourself and care about people, including your sponsors or the people that you're buying something from or hoping to sell something to. If you treat all these people all the same with the same kid gloves and care, then it shines a light for you that is a different path than the ambition and the ambitious world that is out there. Mm. And so you may travel the road less traveled. But it's a great windy road with lots of twisties and and you're gonna have a lot of fun also.
1: Especially if you're in that Aston Martin.
0: <laughs> That's right. In, or my Viper.
1: <laughs> or your well, yeah, there you go. Be careful with that baby. But uh That's right. well you're a man that definitely lives his word and you've been so kind to uh share your time with me today and I'm I'm very, very grateful. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you? Sounds like on your web page. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is one place. Absolutely. The car ETF yeah, show notes page for Alan Taylor. But what are some other ways people can learn about you, follow you, keep track of what you're doing? Because you're doing a lot.
0: Well, you know, I have um, one of those silly web pages, AlanTaylor.me. Okay. And that kind of talks a little bit about what I do. And then my show is The Drive with Absolutely. And also, uh, you can find me at Inc.com. Just pull down... Uh, the navigation bar to radio and you'll find my radio show. And I do a lot of these kind of interviews like you're doing with me. But you're doing a great job, by the way. Well, I'm going <laughs> to send some of your notes. By oh way. my gosh. I'm going to, I'm going to copy that and put it on my wall. That's awesome. <laughs> I interview entrepreneurs and their stories are very similar to yours wow. and mine. Yeah. And success is a very interesting thing. And a lot of people in their mind's eye see it one way, but the reality is it, it really is finding yourself and what your purpose is in life. And that's really true success. So had a lot of fun with you, Mark.
1: Well, this has been awesome. And again, listeners, you can find links to everything Alan has shared on his own show notes page at com. Just type Alan in that search bar. His page will pop up. You'll see his happy, shining face and all the information he shared today. Hey, Alan, you've been so generous with your time and expertise. And I really want to thank you again for sharing your experiences with me and with the CarsYow listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. Cars, yeah. All right.